0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the STEM Blazers podcast. Our guest today is another involved in space, but in a very different way. And we are so excited to talk to her. It is a pleasure to be back here with all of you, including our stellar guest and my fantastic co-host Maddie.
1: Thanks, Joe. My name is Maddie Poole, and I am so excited to be here today, talking to Stella Kafka. Stella is a CEO and executive director of the American Association of Variable Stars, or AAVSO. She attended the University of Athens in Greece, where she pursued her love of physics and discovered her passion for astronomy. And then, after coming to the U.S., she attended Indiana University, where she got her PhD in astronomy with minors in physics and geophysical sciences. We are So excited to learn more about Stella's experience in the vast and mysterious world of astronomy. Welcome, Stella. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my goodness. You make me sound important.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are so excited to talk to you.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure being here. Wonderful. So I'm going to get started with our questions.
0: My first question is, I would love to hear what your day-to-day looks like in general um, as a CEO and what the American Association of Variable Stars Observers is.
2: Ah, so let me start from the second part of your question. The American Association of Variable Star Observers is an organization that was Officially formed in 1911. So we just celebrated our 110th anniversary.
3: And Ooh. it was
2: formed, yeah, I know, right? Do I look mm-hmm. like 110? I look awesome. <laughs> um, but you know, it started as a, um, a group of individuals formed at the Harvard Observatory jointly by the Harvard Observatory director at the time and an amateur astronomer, in order to connect professional and amateur astronomers for scientific projects. So when you think about citizens being involved in science or citizen science, as we kind of call it right now, The AVSO is the one organization that was actually formed from its very beginning to do exactly that, introduce citizens to science and make sure that they are part of scientific discovery. We have evolved since then. Uh, We started in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but right now we are all over the world with our international organization, more than 7,000 individuals in our rosters. We're reaching out to people from all over the world People who are collectively exploring some of the most dynamic, unpredictable, crazy, insane and really fun objects in the night sky. Mind you, we're doing really real science, but we're having fun doing it.
0: First of all, that sounds amazing and like so much fun and you must have a very varied job. What does that day to day look like for you?
2: So as you mentioned, I have a very varied job. I don't have a day-to-day, which actually fits with my uh, character and uh, my personality in general. I really like doing different things every day um as a ceo i'm uh, responsible for the overall run of the organization things operations think outward looking to the public or media etc cetera, etc cetera. but at the same time um a part of my title is that i'm a, a chief science officer so i am also responsible with connecting the organization with scientific projects and making sure that the science that comes out of this organization is ready and on par uh to actually be used and published in scientific uh, research. Having said that, here's a secret. I'm not doing this by myself. So exactly because I have an amazing group of staff at headquarters who are really, really pouring their heart and soul in this organization, whatever aspects of this organization they're responsible for, and a large group of volunteers who are really passionate. And they really feel that, they, are, they belong, they're part of the success of this organization. This is why this association is thriving right now. So that's the secret of success. Have people around you who are smarter than you, they're motivated, and they're just willing to work collectively to actually provide opportunities for their co-sci- co-citizens, like their next door neighbor, to get involved in scientific research. How many of us can actually do it? Think about it. Um, we're using a, a term called amateur astronomer very, very loosely. As in, um, right now, non-paid astronomers can have a, a meaningful contribution to science. Whereas just think that... Uh, If I tell you that I'm an amateur dentist, would you ever come to me?
0: (laughs) Absolutely not.
2: I know the answer is, goodness, no, go away. (laughs) Leave me alone, right? So astronomy is the only science that enables for individuals who don't have a uh, formal degree to make meaningful contributions, which is actually really big because that means that this is a science where individuals who actually got a degree, professional astronomers, individuals who are interested in getting involved, can actually work together. This is the original citizen science um, association. That's so
0: wonderful hearing that you have this amazing base of support and teamwork across people who are so passionate to be there. I think that sounds so enriching and also like a really rewarding position to have.
2: Oh, absolutely. So it's one of those things where, you know, you you are, um, when you, you take a step back, and you think of the or as this international organization provides all these uh, resources, all these databases, all this educational tool, all these community um, resources, all this kind of um, um uh, tools and uh, educational material, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's kind of overwhelming. But then again, when you think that you're not alone in this, it makes you feel like fuzzy inside, in the sense that we're all in this together. We're trying to explore the universe, and the more of us that are actually engaging in this in this uh, quest, the more we learn. And we learn not only because we explore the universe, but because we come from different backgrounds. So we learn from each other. We learn um, because we think differently of of things. There's no such a thing. You know, I I got my bachelor's in physics, so I'm a physicist. And I've learned that, uh, you know, you want to go from point A to point B, but there's so many different ways to do that.
1: Wow. Yeah, that sounds incredible. That it sounds like such a fulfilling job and you sound so passionate when you're talking about it. So that is so special. And I'm so happy that you found something that you love doing.
2: I think we'll, we should all find something that we're passionate about. Um, astronomy or nature or um, the world around us. There's so many things in science that uh, are curious and magnificent and fun and unresolved. And all it takes is not only our efforts, but our collective efforts. You know, when I was um, a graduate student, of Verbi, last century, oh my goodness, what am I telling you now? Last century, um, I was going to conferences. It was all about, you know, the lone scientists that were Uh, doing their work behind closed doors, right? And you don't talk to them and you don't bother them. And they would actually come up and give a presentation and you would get about 10% of what they were talking about, maybe. And I I hate to say that, but it was not fun. It was more like uh, listening to a lecture. Again, 10% of um, takeaway was considered to be a success, and now we're at the point where we, we need to explain to each other and we need to explain to everyone else around us what it is that we're doing and how we're doing it. We need to make sure that we work together. Science is not something that you can do behind closed doors. And that's why science is so rich. And that's why science is moving forward because it's learning from everybody. And it's learning in an equitable way. It's accessible. It needs to, it, it has to be diverse, otherwise, it's not getting anything.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's so much out there. Like there is infinite possibilities of like what you could do with a career and like interests and hobbies and stuff. It's, It's so cool to learn about like all of these different things that are out here. That's why, you know, we have this podcast is so people and, you know, especially women and young girls and stuff, they can learn about all of the amazing opportunities and things that are out there for them to do and enjoy and pursue their passions. And that is so special and so important. And that's obviously what we strive to do, you know, at STEM Blazers and in this podcast and like this conversation. So that's why I love doing this.
0: And it sounds like you are really creating a bridge between um, the passion that people have in citizen science and using that as a means to um, invite people into the conversation about astronomy and invite them into this wonderful um, exploration of this massive universe we have and also uh, accommodate the vast and really special professionals who are helping to push this field forward. I would love if you could talk about how um, in your field, these diverse perspectives contribute to how the science functions, to um, creating a cohesive and human idea of what the universe looks like and how you study that? Because it sounds like you're taking a very human-like perspective to um, studying science and finding these answers.
2: I think the human perspective goes to the fact that we all respect everybody else who is involved in this business. And not only respect, but we sit down and listen in a very active way. What drives us is physics, right? The laws of physics are universal and they're everywhere. But at the same time, you think about astronomy, what we have in our hands are photons, light. That's all we have, right? And we collect light through our telescopes or apertures or cameras or spectrographs, whatever you want to call it, some specialized equipment. But all we have in our hands is light. So what we really need to do in order to understand the light that comes from what looks like a dot a star, right? Or a fuzzy dot, a galaxy, is to be smart about it and trying to actually put together a puzzle that is much bigger than our experience, much more extensive, much, much older or younger, much more dynamic, much more. It's unthinkably large, right? We're trying to put together a three dimensional image of the universe by having photons in our hands. I think that by itself, this is extremely empowering. And that is why um, we need a collective of experiences, a collective of um, viewpoints to actually reach to where we need to go. There are a lot of individuals who have a a special talent in uh, data analysis. There are lots of individuals who have a special talent in creating the right instruments or different instruments to analyze this light. There are lots of individuals who synthesize much, much better than others. It's like our nature, right? We're just different. And there are lots of individuals who actually are willing to think about um, the principles of nature, theories that need to come together to generate what we observe. So astronomy is not like a one person's quest. It's not a one kind of think tank that will create the knowledge. It needs input from everywhere, and it it needs to actually um, look at things in a humble way. We need to actually accept that sometimes we're wrong because the data that we have are not sufficient to lead to the right quote-unquote answer. And we have no idea what the right answer is, right? So if we have individuals who are part of the scientific method, just to backtrack a little bit, is to question each other, question each other in a healthy way, not just being aggressive and rude or anything like that, but at least try to to see um, what the devil's advocate would say, right? So in that sense, as a scientific community, and I mean both individuals who have a formal degree in astronomy and individuals who don't have a formal degree but have other skills that are kind of pitching in astronomy, As a community, we check each other, we question each other. And because I'm working on um, objects that are what we call variable, they change with time, right? So you have no idea what they're gonna do tomorrow. They might surprise you. Even the things that you think you understand might surprise you. We are keeping each other awake and we're keeping each other in check and we make sure that we move forward as a community
1: i I really love what you said about kind of like having different perspectives and like having different people like look on the same issue um, and since you've you know studied physics in like two different countries, how does the culture kind of surrounding women differ in Greece versus here?
2: I left from Greece to come here for graduate school for two different reasons. One of which was the fact that I recognized that the higher education here in the U.S. was much closer to my personal learning style. So you go to graduate school, you take a group of lesson, uh, classes, right? So everybody's on the same level. At the same time, you do research. So you see whether research is good for you as opposed to just go to a research project, right? As a master's and then you can move on for a PhD. And yes, the process takes a little bit longer, but at the same time, along the way, you gain experience, uh, you make connections, you can try different research projects until you um, reach out to your PhD thesis, which actually does not necessarily determine what you're going to do in the future, right? You can change subjects. Anyway, and the second one was that Greece is one of those countries that are still a little bit behind the U.S. when it comes to women's opportunities. Not women's rights, but opportunities. And I wanted to make sure that if I work hard, I'm recognized. I didn't have the necessary network back home to actually be able to be supported and thrive. And as such, I decided to actually make a leap, jump the ocean, come all the way to Indiana, which, by the way, was an amazing place for me. I'm a Hoosier and I'm very proud to say that. Um, To Indiana University, IU Bloomington, to get my master's and PhD. And I have no regrets. The only thing is that, you know, from time to time I do feel homesick because I still have my family back home. But nowadays with Skype, it's as if we never missed each other. We are, you know, I talk to my parents every day. So it's really nice. So as a woman in STEM, I have to tell you, Even as an undergraduate, I never really felt that I'm a different gender than my peers. I think I felt a little bit more of being gentrified when I graduated from grad school, when I went to the real world. And then it was like, uh, suddenly things became more um, challenging, and I was writing manuscripts for refereed journals and I was getting much harsher reviews. I'm like, there's no way that as time goes by and becoming a worse scientist, <laughs> if not anything else, I'm producing better results and I know that. So there's something in there. No matter which level it gets you, it hits you by surprise. When you, you feel that you're a sec- not a second-class citizen, but more of a, there's more expected of you. And because you are usually the minority within a group of male scientists, then you look around you and you're like, excuse me. (laughs) Well, if you have an attitude like mine, right? You're actually being a little bit more vocal. Um, I have to tell you, I'm extremely lucky in the sense that I'm European, I'm Greek, right? I'm white. I'm at the very top of the food pyramid. I have an accent, but it's accepted, um, I come from a country that is considered to be the staple of civilization, philosophy, and science. So even within my little sub-world of being a female in science, I'm at the very top of the pyramid. I can't even imagine, and I don't even attempt to imagine, being a, pers- a non-white person, non-European-looking person, no european sounding person. Um, and female in science, I I I'm, I feel I'm very privileged. You guys, I really am.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Re- recognizing like our own privileges is super important. So it's definitely a, a very important conversation to have and recognize and acknowledge and try to you know uplift women of color, like women who are disabled. You know all of, all of the other things that we may not have to think about every single day.
2: I was never confused for a waitress in a conference. I was never told I don't belong, you know, you in know that sense. And it has nothing to do with my attitude. Sadly, has everything to do with my looks. Yeah, I'm so glad
0: you brought that up because there's so much intersection of our experiences in this world. And so many things inform our decisions and perspectives on this world. And you summed it up in a really beautiful and concise way that there are uh, a variety of experiences we can have and being a woman in stem is just one of them it makes it's a part of us as an individual um but it's not the only part and it's not a part that doesn't interact with other parts of our identity and um i think it's really important that you brought that up i'm really excited to hear how you made this large decision in your life. You moved to a different country, you went to um, a different school in perhaps an area you were unfamiliar with, and that must have taken courage. And I would love to hear what gave you that courage and also why Astronomy and physics called to you enough that you were like, I know I'm making the right choice. Like, this is what I meant to do. Can you kind of describe what let you do that for me?
2: I could definitely do that. So, I'm going to start from the second part of your question. I was always of a curious nature, very curious kid to my detriment, and my parents care because I would walk in the kitchen and do experiments, the point where my mom was really, really terrified to leave me alone, right? Just playing with fire, playing with the electricity. We used to use gas for cooking there, and just, oh, what does this look like? We No. Um, so I, I really needed supervision, but at the same time, with that in mind, my parents were always, always extremely supportive. Or like, you know, something she's curious, let, let her do it. Why not? And for them, uh, learning was much more important than anything else. Learning by myself in a safe way, because it was a very dangerous kid, uh, was actually a priority. So, both me and my younger brother got all the education opportunities that we needed. We come from a kind of uh, lower middle class. So both my parents really worked hard to provide us with the opportunities that we ended up having. So when I went to high school, um, middle school, so I was always an A student. I was a really good student. I was a go-getter just because of pride. It was 100% pride right there. I mean, I mean what do you mean I'm not acing history? What do you mean I'm not good in language? What do you mean I'm not going to take a second language? Uh, you know, forget about English. Let's go with French. Um, And at the same time, physics, math, history, chemistry, um, biology, all those kind of courses. And um, the time came for me to make a decision. Now, mind you, in Greece, the system is a little bit different than here. You have to actually select the direction you want to take when you are on your senior year in high school. And based on that, you have to take an exam and get into the university and Um, You get into the department you choose. You can't switch major. It's kind of a big responsibility for a 17, 18-year-old. Oh, my gosh. I have to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, for the next 80 years, right now. Hormones blazing, right? So um, (laughs) I knew I was really good at researching. I knew I didn't want like a clinical job, nine to five sort of thing. That was not for me. Um, my attention span was very short, I really wanted to search. And I was actually in between two different fields. I love history. I come from a country that has a long, a long history as archaeology. My mom's an archaeologist actually in Greece. Um, but this but at the same time, I loved physics. I loved breaking things to see how they worked. And I decided that if I am equally between the two sciences, I can read history myself. But I need a much more structured education to understand physics. So I decided to go with physics. And trust me, no regrets, zero regrets. So as part of my electives, I took astronomy, I took plasma physics, I took seismology two and three. I love seismology, like earthquakes. But at the same time, for some reason, I worked in an office of the professor who who actually taught us the one astronomy class, one astronomy class. And mind you, by then, Pluto was a planet, still a planet, and it had one moon, that's it. Um, So I walked in her office and I'm like, you know, I want to do my senior thesis with you. And she looked at me and she said, you know something, I'm very happy to help you, but you have to think about it. Astronomy is sort of addictive. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do my senior thesis with you, she's like, okay then. So she um, she actually took me under her wing. I did my senior thesis with her, and sometime halfway through my thesis, I walked in her office and I said, you know, I want to go to graduate school in astronomy. And she said, you, you realize this is a one way street. I said, yep, yeah. and that's my choice. Um, two things. First, it's not a one-way street. You can do so much with an astronomy degree. So in that sense, she was wrong. Second, she's one of my best friends now. She's still a mentor. She's that woman who has, has retired, but uh, she's a family friend now. Um, she's always right. In my book, she's right. She's always given me an amazing, amazing advice. So it's really critical at the very beginning of your career, no matter what you do, to have a strong person behind you. It might be a a female, might be a male, gender doesn't matter, as long as that person is your cheerleader. You know what I'm saying? They, They really believe in you. They really want you to move forward and they're using their resources, right? So it turned out that she knew a person who knew a person who knew a person who knew another person who was the graduate student of the person who ended up being my graduate thesis advisor. And they sent me to Indiana. So that is pretty much what got me to astronomy. I'm not doing research right now, but I'm enabling research. I'm looking at the next generation of scientists that are coming up. I go to the American Astronomical Society meetings, which is the professional society I belong to. And I see this young women and young men and young everything that come from all over the world. They have all kinds of accents. They look different. And I feel I belong in there. I'm like, you know, these are my peeps. And they're so smart. And they're so motivated. And they're so educated. It's refreshing. The fact that, you know, I'm looking at this generation of of individuals who are very no-nonsense. They're very forward-looking. They're all about, we need to work together, to actually learn from each other. And if you think that the way we look, the way we talk, the way we interact is a barrier, you don't belong here. Go back to your cave. That's power. That is how we're supposed to to work together. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. You covered so much in talking about not only your personal experience, but the way that this field is defined by the diversity and passion and excitement inside of it. And you really captured that in a way I had never conceived before as someone who hasn't really looked at astronomy. That is so exciting. And uh, it is such a pleasure to hear about your experience doing that.
1: Yeah. um, Thank you so much, Stella, for answering those first few questions. Um, We're just going to take a short break and then we will be right back.
3: Hi, it's Wendy. Thank you for joining us. April 17th through the 23rd is National Volunteer Week. Are you looking for an organization to support with your time, talent, and passion? We'd love to have you on our team. STEM Blazers offers many volunteer opportunities to make an impact. If you're interested in learning more, please drop us a line at info at And on that note, on behalf of the entire stemblazers organization, I'd like to offer our gratitude to all the amazing and dedicated volunteers who are sharing their time in so many different ways to help girls visualize themselves in STEM. This week's episode is sponsored by Wright Water Engineers. Wright Water Engineers is a full-service water resource, environmental, and civil engineering firm based in Denver, Colorado. They're providing quality services to protect public health, safety, and welfare. To learn more about Wright Water Engineers, go to wrightwater.com. That's W-R-I-G-H-T water.com. Now let's get you back to the conversation.
0: Okay. Welcome back. Um, We are now ready for our rapid fire question round. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask you a set of questions. We're going to switch off and you will answer them as fast as you can. Are you ready?
2: Maybe. (laughs) Well, Why don't you go ahead and we'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) All right. uh, What did you want to be when you were
2: five? A nurse. I wanted to help people. I wanted to actually be there for them. I wanted to make sure that they're healed. That's so wonderful. Who is your female STEM icon? Oof. Should I start counting? There are (laughs) lots of individuals who made a difference in my life, and they still affect my life. And they're not just female. They're also male. Absolutely. Um, I was extremely fortunate when I was at the Carnegie Studio of Washington to be like an office right next to Vera Rubin. For those who don't know, Vera Rubin, the woman who discovered dark matter, she she should have gotten a Nobel Prize. This is a different story. Uh, One of the most humble, supportive, amazing person I've ever met. So you know something? We can take the whole next three hours talking about the amazing women and men that I've met in my life. Most of them worked behind the scenes. So my Undergraduate thesis advisor Mary Contizas who was a mentor since I graduated and known words, a person I can talk to, and another person that I absolutely adore. My mother and my father. They don't even know what I do. Honestly, they have no idea what it is that I do, <laughs> but they've always been my cheerleader. So I'm extremely fortunate, extremely fortunate, you guys.
1: Yeah, that's that's amazing.
0: That's awesome. It sounds like you have a team of icons. Yep. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Um, What is your best life hack?
2: Tea. Tea and exercise. I love exercising. I love having a cup of tea. And occasionally when I want to splurge and kind of pamper myself, dark chocolate. And actually dark chocolate with salted almonds.
0: Herbal tea and dark chocolate hits like nothing else does. Um, I'm curious, what is your favorite way to de-stress?
2: Exercise. I really like exercise and, you know, I love reading. I love, love reading. And, you know, depending on the time of of the year, my attitude, I really like historical mysteries. I love history. I love strong female um, characters. I love learning from individuals who have really, uh, really um, researched the subject. So, yeah, that's what I do. I sit down and read.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: With my cup of tea and lots of chocolate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a dream. What's the best compliment you've received?
2: I think that the best compliment I've ever received was you gave an amazing talk today. And this is in in a professional conference in front of 400 people I had never met. Being a grad student, right? Without my thesis advisor. Uh, Somebody actually came to me and they said, This is the best talk I heard in this conference. And I was actually extremely flattered because I thought that, oh my goodness, little me and standing in front of all these gurus of astronomy and, you know, wise people. And please, please please don't ask a question. I I won't even be able to answer. And having one of the senior individuals coming to me at the very end of my talk and telling me that they enjoyed it and they love the results and that, you know, there's promise in me that was powerful. That was empowering. And that's something that I kept in my heart too.
0: Yeah, we have to remember things like that. Make sure that we c- they stick with us. What is your favorite motto?
2: Do it. Oh, I, I, am, I, am I stealing it from Nike? Because you know something, it's, it's one of those things. Sometimes uh, in order to do something, you have to take the, the first step, right? When I left To get my graduate degree, I had to actually say, I'm going to the U.S. and the ticket. And I was so naive. Don't even, right? It's a different story. Just do it. Just try it. Life is too short to not take some chances. And you can take calculated chances. And that's fine. A risk is okay. Be uncomfortable. That's fine. You learn from that. And it leads to beautiful experiences. Be safe, but be uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good advice. What is something that you've been wanting to learn?
2: I always wanted to learn how to fly. I think that flying is the, one of the most powerful things on, on this planet. You know, just, just think about it for a second. As humans, we move in two and a half dimensions. Up, down, left, right, and time. So I would love to move in a third dimension. That's
0: so insightful to be thinking of, wow, we are just moving in these similar ways every day. I wonder what it would be like to be outside of that. Um, and our final question is, what is a favorite or inspiring song to you for our mentors playlist?
2: So this is a an old song. Most of you were not even born at the time. Uh, do you know a movie called Flashdance, 1983? There's a song called What a Feeling. So pretty much it tells you that, you know, you're scared about making a step forward and everything seems to be overwhelming. And, you know, it feels that, that you can't do it. But then if you picture yourself uh, doing what you're passionate about, then you can do it. So just do it. It's it's like dancing through your life.
0: I think that is very on brand, especially for what you've described. And also we have a playlist filled with amazing songs from our other mentors as well that you can feel free to check out at STEM Blazers.
1: Definitely. All right. And this is our last question that we ask all of our guests. So standing where you are now, what advice would you give to your high school self?
2: I think in high school, I was a little bit too stressed out about my life. I always wanted to be successful and work, 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 um, to the point where I was obsessed. So what I was, I would tell my high school self is, relax, enjoy your life, do something different for a change. For me, my entertainment was going to the gym, but you know, sometimes just... Going for a cup of coffee with a friend without feel, feeling guilty that, you know, oh my gosh, I'm not studying for these two hours. I'm just enjoying my friend's company is refreshing, is regenerating. It's actually supporting who you are and what you want to be and builds relationships that are real and they're long lasting. So what I would tell my high school self is to breathe <laughs> and leave my high school years. Um, work hard, play hard. Uh, the, the two are not mutually exclusive. And if not anything else, we need to be very well-rounded in order to actually move forward in this world. You know, we are all getting a degree in something. We're expecting that this degree is going to be our profession for the rest of our lives. And I can actually attest to the fact that this is not true. This degree is giving us skills, which are amazing. But at some point, carpe diem. If you find an opportunity to grow, to expand, to learn, to have an impact, just take it. So, yeah, I really wish I was a little bit more of a relaxed teenager. I mean, I I would do fine either way.
1: Yeah, well, that's really good advice. I think we could all probably uh, chill out sometime. So that's definitely a good little tidbit.
0: So much good advice and so much advice we should really take to heart. We really appreciate you sharing that with us. And now for our listeners, we have the trivia question of the episode. Our question is, how much approximately of the sun's mass is made up by hydrogen? And for our answer, our listeners can find that on Instagram at Stemblazers. So please check it out.
1: Yeah. And uh, thank you so much, Stella, for joining us on this episode. We have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. Um, I can just hear your passion um, when you talk and it is so inspiring and it is really magical to hear you talk about all of the things and you have had such good advice. And it's been really a pleasure talking to you. So thank you so much on behalf of STEM Blazers for joining us for this episode and um, your inspiring girls and young women everywhere who are considering entering a STEM field.
2: Anytime. And one of the things I could say is that, you know, something. Uh, sometimes we find the information of a person, we, we, we look up to a person that we really admire and we really look up to, but we dare not contact them. Drop them a message. You never know. That person might actually answer and that might open a different opportunity for you. If any of your listeners want to contact me, I am at skafka at avso.org and everywhere in social media definitely not on tiktok because <clears throat> <laughs> um, but you know i'm on facebook instagram linkedin twitter um if people want to connect or follow up with me i'll be more than happy to respond and you know something good luck you guys just listening to stem lasers is a first good step forward and first good step upward
0: thank you so much stella and Thank you to the listeners for joining us for another STEM Blazers episode. If you want more information or to stay up to date on what we are working on, check us out at our website at STEMBlazers.org or our Facebook and Instagram pages at STEM Blazers.